Hello and welcome to Off The Record. For those listening live on Adobe, you can catch up more with us at offtherecord.fm to subscribe to the podcast. And for those listening through your normal methods, you can also uh, check out show notes there. We had a very nice and welcoming and responsive uh, episode this past week. It was, um, I'm sure, because I went on a lot of rants and nothing because of uh, Jesse's personal life at all. Yes, thank you to everybody who wrote me and said something nice. I really appreciate it. It was very uh, heartwarming for my dark, cold heart. Mm. And for a little uh, movie follow-up, Jesse, I w- or documentary follow-up, I watched uh, Going Clear this past week, Jesse. You enjoyed it, I'm sure. It was wild. Uh, Grace and I watched it, and uh, I have—I do have to say that we tried to watch it three times at like late at night, and I—I I can't stay up late, so I fell asleep. Like we each fell asleep <laughs> each different time, not because it was boring. I was just like, yeah, I have the same problem. I, late at night movies—it's—it's it's usually gonna put me out. I'm just gone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but then we were like, no, we should watch this in the middle of the day or something. And it was, it was like, it was a scary movie. It was, a, it was essentially a horror movie, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a horror movie for some reason. But you haven't cracked into the documentary list I made. Not yet. yet. I see. I think. Uh, I think I'm, over the summer I'm going to make it my goal to watch one of those per week for the entire summer. I think that's kind of like my goal. Because there's like there's like a dozen movies on there. There's so I more, think, more than a dozen. There's like I mean, because some of them are episodic, so it probably oh, take you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I plan to go through them like continuously, and I think that'll like part of my hope is that I'll just get real hopped up on like watching documentaries, which I want to be a thing for myself. So I think like if I can get a roll of it and be out of school, I think I'll really be able to make it happen. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we have a show this week, or are we just going to talk about? I thought I thought you were just going to freak out about the new brand new song for this whole entire episode. Oh no, I don't want you to say mean things about a band I love. I just don't feel anything about it. Is that supposed to be funny? Is, uh, <laughs> I got that, puns of steel. Is that is that like an old man funny joke? <laughs> that was kind of a dad joke. It was a major dad joke. Do you really not like it? I think the chorus is great. I think the spoken word verse is like... You mean the like, modest mouse verse. You see, this is the thing. If you call that the modest mouse verse, you're leaving out which you often do, which is music history, which is he's really stealing that from Michael Stipe from R.E.M., who Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse stole it from. Okay, but that's like saying that someone stole Mike swimming, swinging from Adam Lazar who stole it from Freddie Mercury. Like, you just gotta... You gotta these, are, these are children we're talking to. Oh, we should mention that I'm old now. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Somebody had a birthday. Yeah, it hurts. Uh, I I noticeably feel it in my uh, psyche. It's crippling. You know, I didn't didn't want to bring you down on your birthday, but when you wrote thanks, Gramps, back to me when I wished you a happy birthday, I want to say, if I'm a grandpa, (laughs) buddy, those 15 years younger, that 22, that makes you a dad. So I'm just going to say, if I'm a grandpa, I'm a dad. So you better watch whose insults you throw at it. I I didn't uh, want to kick you down when there's like kids writing nasty things about you on Twitter all day on your birthday. Yeah, some some real assholes on Twitter. I was... uh, I was talking like just with uh, Properties Act staff yesterday, and one of them was like, "I remember when you were a child, prodigy, prodigy, no more." Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I'm dead now. That's a, that's, anyway. a, that's a rough one to get over. You know, I, I was like talking to another one of my millennial friends about that, about how I, I had that same thing of that. It was very difficult for me to get used to not being like, oh, my God, he's so amazing in doing this at such a young age. And then transition yeah. to just being It's going to be a real things. hard thing for me. And this is the thing. I don't need to. I'm okay with the transition. I just think it's going to be out of habit for me to be like, if he's so much older or like. He's in jackass. It's embarrassing that he's a jackass because he's thirty years old. But now, now <laughs> if I'm a jackass, it's not. It's like it's it's equally embarrassing for me because I can't be like I'm a kid. I can get away with it. I'm very aware of it, but mm-hmm. I think like out of habit, I need to break myself a little bit, and uh, I think it's going to be difficult. But I understand. Well, yeah. while we move on to talking about other jackasses, which would be the service title. Wow, you're gonna. Dude, you live in you live in the Kingsboro. I mean, I I I spent a lot of time right next to the Marcy Projects. Truth be told, because the girl I date lives right there. The what? The girl I date lives right next to the Marcy Projects, where Jay Z came up. Dog. Don't oh, you know I don't know anything about Jay. I haven't watched that documentary yet. I assume there's one of them. There is. It's called Fade to Black. It's very good. Okay, great to know. Title. We didn't talk. We didn't talk about it when it came out because I think we were in a recording slump or catch up session. So this is a new service that I'm sure you guys have heard about because Jay-Z um, brought out all 13 of the pop stars that people care about on stage with him, um, including Men in Robot Masks, to introduce this new streaming service that he had bought at the top of this year or late last year. And I think we covered it when he did that for yes. somewhere around $60 million or something like that. Mid-55 million, yeah. Yeah, and something that I guess wasn't clear that seems a little more clear is that all these other megastar artists own a stake of it as well. Um, so so they put money towards this 50-something million dollars that Jay-Z bought the service for. The way Jay-Z framed it was um, no one's done the streaming service yet, right yet. No one's getting paid enough. Um, we're we're going to make sure everyone gets paid enough. And we also have high fidelity quality. Here's your app. And so I downloaded the app. I assume you did as well. I did. And uh, it's just kind of like any other streaming service app. Um, it's they title alongside kind of to follow beats. I think definitely feels more on the curated side. Um, they're going to be pushing for exclusives, not just limited to music, but also like they're teaming up with the Talk House, a cool website for content, which I think is smart. But I don't know if it's scalable. Um, but yeah. So what was your first take? And then I guess we can get a little more into it. Well, my first complaint is. My biggest complaint with all these services, which is they're all not being very inventive and they're all just doing the same exact things that like mm. the even the difference is like, you know, just as beat that they kind of went on the beats way and they went towards this whole curated thing instead of the algorithmic thing that right. RDO and Spotify have done of recommendations. They're just doing more of the same. And I think that's just really the thing is like I want to start to see some imagination and some divergent paths in what these services are doing so that like, you know, like I think of it like this, like there used to be a thing like in the George W. Bush elections where everybody's like Democrats and Republicans are clearly the same and some silly stuff like that. But like we tried guys, we tried to not talk about politics. I never try to do that. (laughs) But now there's very clear differences between Republicans, Democrats. I want to see the clear difference between these services because really like at this point, it's like, one's not better than the other right like like there's like it really is it's just like which one do you feel like using because they're all pretty much close to the same i like it's that thing i always say i use the the rdo i mean i have a subscription to all three i haven't subscribed to title because i don't think i'll ever use it again 
aside from the new release page, I'm like, what am I using this for? So that's my biggest complaint against mm-hmm. it. I guess my biggest complaint is, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, when I was in there, so Jesse, let me ask mm-hmm. you a question. As, mm-hmm. a, as, as a music fan that's pondering spending twice as more money per month on Tidal versus any of these other music services, if I'm wearing my Apple earbuds, am I going to know that this song sounds better on the third on the twenty dollar version versus the five dollar version. Zach, you read my mind of where I wanted to go next. So mm, tell me though. I'm no, in, I'm, I don't know. Here, here, here's the, so this great blog that I read a lot called uh, Pretty Much Amazing that does like a lot of pop premieres and like you know they're kind of like the fat they're kind of like the property of Zach of more mainstream indie cool bands. Wow, they must uh, get that, way more Twitter hate then. Yeah, well, they, they're very. When I say that, I mean that they're like the blog that posts everything first. Like there's seven hours before pitchfork, just as you're seven hours before all press. Mm. Um, they put a pretty good analysis of it and they confirmed what I heard too, which is that when you do these tests of turning on the hi-fi, it's absolutely lovely for a gentle, delicate acoustic record. It's lovely for a Brahms concerto, but you cannot really hear the difference at all, even on a good stereo system, when it's just dense music. Like if you put on, like they use the example, they put on uh, a Bon Iver record. I put on Skrillex Bangarang just because it was one of the most streamed records of a certain year. I put on the Daft Punk record to hear a more hi-fi record. You don't hear any real difference. Even when I'm on a great stereo system, I'm nitpicking to hear the difference and never mind when you're on your apple or your beats earbuds you're not which is the majority of human beings like this is the thing like how many so you're you're kind of trying to go at different things i think like title the service like how many audiophiles really are there there's definitely like probably millions in the world right Mm. it's a that in in terms of music listeners in the world that's like one percent of people if that right not not even right but there's millions of people so well but there's a lot of people who like to pay lip service to that they want to hear their music better and they almost want to show their concern like i think that's a lot of reason why people buy vinyl is they're saying it's almost symbolism because a lot of people don't pull out their vinyl when they go to listen to a song. It's symbolism that I care about audio and I care about a superior music experience. And I think that that's the thing is they're almost banking on that lip service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it, it just seems it feels like it's going to fall flat. And here's the other thing I want to mention. Like if that's your sticking point, like I read actually I read this interview with Ben Gibber today, and like it, it has nothing to do with Death Cab, really. Jesse, just say so, just so we're on the just, same page. Just so I don't have to say any mean right, things right. about it's how about, terrible it's the record about is. title. He was asked about title. The quote was like, "I think I think they I think they totally blew it by bringing out a bunch of millionaires and billionaires and propping them up on stage and then having them all complain about not being paid. There was a wonderful opportunity squandered to highlight what this service would mean for artists who are struggling." And to make a plea to people's hearts and pocketbooks to pay a little more for the service that was going to pay these artists a reasonable streaming rate. He continues, and they didn't do it. That's why this is going to fail, fail miserably. I, I, you know, I have to say I really agree with him. I just wish I agreed with wanting to listen to his music. Listen, listen to that record twice in the past 24 hours. Um, oh, oh. But so this, like, it's hard to not agree with him, right? Like, I wonder if Jay-Z could read that and disagree. Like, you know, like how the, you're, you're pulling up Kanye West and you may hate Kanye West, you may love Kanye West, whatever. Like, if you add all the, all the, like, all the bank account numbers up for all the people in that, on that stage, 
It was hundreds of millions of dollars, if not like a billion dollars, right? And why? Like, you're doing just fine. Like, you don't, most of the money you're going to make today that wouldn't even come from iTunes if people were buying it. It comes from like crazy tours or syncs or sponsorships, right? Like, not that I don't think Kanye West should make all the money that he should make. Like, I think everyone should, right? Like, music or not. But you're telling me you're going to, like, make all these musicians' lives better. And, like, Rihanna, am I really, like, Frank, like, Rihanna, if I'm going to play Rihanna, I don't feel guilty of playing Rihanna on Tidal. Sorry, on Spotify versus playing it on Tidal. You know what hey, I mean? Zach, don't fuck with her money. I Hey, <laughs> I, paid, I paid her. <laughs> okay, so... You know what I mean, though? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're exactly right. But so, so I think there was a really interesting thing. I had this discussion with a stranger at a bar one night, but it really stuck with me. I wish I knew this person because they were really smart and fun to talk to. But we talked about how Spotify was the one service that, I'm sorry, uh, MySpace was the one service that talked to all three levels of musicians at once and was appealing to major label mid-level touring acts and the local band dash amateur all at once. And it was really, really like an empowering thing that made it easy for all of them to do something. And that never has come around again. And I think that that's one of the big things with these services is these services are always so wrapped up in their major label world. And then you think about who's running them. Like, you know, you got Dre and Iovine at the top of Beats. You know, you got uh, with Spotify, you know, they're, they always are coddling these huge artists. And then now you have this whole crew with title. You just always see these people being coddled uh, with the major label crowd. And they're not caring as much about the every level of the artist. I think for one of these services to be successful, they're going to have to learn to uh, talk to everyone. And let me like, so what do you think about this too? Like, I don't care. Like, this is going to, I want this to sound like as not shocking, but like as blunt as it does, like, like, I don't care if Rihanna gets paid more or less money for a streaming service I'm using. Me as the general user, right? Like, no one cares about that. Like, does Jay-Z really think that he's going to sell millions of people on the fact of, like, hey, pay more so your favorite artist gets paid more? Who the fuck cares? Like, no. Uh, I don't agree. I, you I think care. millions of people, like, when Rihanna is singing a song that's like, like, bitch, where's my money? Like, if like all these artists that they, like, touted on stage have song after song that's just like I don't think it's I'm the, rich. <laughs> I don't think it's these artists, but I will tell but, you but this. This is the ones that they're marketing it at. Sure, right? sure, sure. That's why titles going wrong. But I think you said something that I don't agree with. Okay. Which is that people do care about their favorite artists being paid. There's that really good MTV poll years ago that the majority of people feel, want to support an artist they feel they have a kidship with. Now it's hard to feel a kidship with Jay Z's ability to shell out 55 million dollars right, and stuff like, like that but i will also and i think it's also like one of those interesting things too of like how they always talk about how like hip-hop artists can't do kickstarters because they're always rapping about their money and they can't show that they actually don't have any there is a thing though that people don't want to see their money go away and i remember there was a really interesting thing too that when npr did this special um it was about so we'll get real geeky since this is for us so Radio does not pay the musicians who play on a song. They only play the songwriters that play that are that write a song. Mm -hmm. That's where the radio royalties go to. When you talk about your BMI, ask just, just had a whole meeting. I had a two-hour meeting about this with Knucklepuck last week. It was awful. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's truly an awful subject, but something people don't realize. So then there's the famous song Louie Louie. Do you know this one? I know you don't know music history. So what's, what's the title again? Louie Louie. No. It's a classic it. song. So the point is, it's kind of one of the songs where like it's sketchy who wrote it, but the band who popularized it, it's one of the most played songs on the radio, uh, didn't write it. And one of the guys lives in a trailer. And so on NPR in a pre-Kickstarter era, this guy got sent tons of money because people felt bad about how much they loved that song from him. People are obviously compelled to not want to see the artists they love living in trailers. But I do think that there's the fine line. Definitely of that. not. Like, you don't care about Jay-Z, but I just disagree, but I think that there is millions of people who okay, do care. You're, you're right there. Or, but, like, yeah. I obviously care too, right? Yes. Um, but there's just, like, I think... I think we're trying to, I think we, as let's just say we have a fake music streaming service, I think we're trying to sell our customer base on the wrong thing if we're trying to sell them on uh, make your artist 18 cents a song rather than 15 cents a song, Mm. whatever, right? I think that's the wrong thing. I think the right thing is why is my streaming service, my app, 15 times better than everyone else's for $2 less for the same price or for $5 more? Like, Ultimately, like, I'm done with RDO right now. Spotify's fine. Beats is not. I'm not going to use Beats right now. Like, I don't want to use any of these. But I do want to use a streaming service. And I know, again, we've talked to death about, like, how I'm not the ideal person. But I think we can all see, like, none of them are vastly different enough from the other. And none of them are, like, none of them are, I think, separated enough. And this, this mythical Apple service, if I can have my normal library in there... If I can have everything native to my laptop, to my iPhone, to my iPad, to my Apple Watch, if I can, like, if I can my new Apple TV, I just, they have the best chance, I think, to destroy the competition right now. Because they don't, mm-hmm. even if Apple does the same thing as everyone else, I think the alt, the end product, if it if it is right, and that's a big if, but I think if, if it's done right, like, there's no, like, that they're the only game in town then. Because, like, why wouldn't you? It just seems like a no-brainer to me. Like, there's something missing, I think, in all the streaming services currently. And I don't know that any of them are trying to find out what that is. Like, there's everyone's... Spotify is not going to pay artists more money because they're burning through all their money. But mm. everyone's using Spotify anyway. So the more money does, thing doesn't count. Otherwise, Title would have 5 million signups right now, right? Like... I think we're just all going after the wrong thing. I don't necessarily know what the right thing is, but I think we're... One, no one believes titles paying more. That's every article. Two, people do seem to care about the paying more, but I do think it's an afterthought. But the one thing I think that you're missing is the future of people caring about me more. What we will see as we go away from downloads, we think, is there's going to be countless more stories about musicians who are no longer able to make their art that people care about and love. And that is going to scare people into paying music. And those days, those articles are already starting to pop up. And they were popping up for like a hot minute in the post-Napster. And they're going to get way worse and way worse and way worse. I mean, one of the most interesting things I think is always there is there's that famous thing that the one of the guys who helps book Coachella, when he meets with these bands, they try to get to reunite. He says, you know, when the royal shit, he checks, start coming, you call me some or something like that on his business card. Mm. I think it's much more witty and better call Solly. It is that thing of that we're going to see this evaporation and the public is going to keep continuing because it's a story like that the NPRs and the Huffington Post love to write about is these artists not being able to uh, support themselves. I think people will continually care more and more about that as time goes on. 
I just don't think they believe that Jay-Z is going to be the one who's the bitch who has their money. So I'm curious, basically, once one or two of these platforms get the market share. So let's just assume it's going to be Apple and Spotify, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what happens with Beats and Tidal and Xbox Music and Google Play, like... If we're if we'll kind of get into like a Windows versus OS ten thing, you know, um, like how many how many of these are really like gonna stay afloat? Um, I uh, think Google Play has to keep theirs open because they have YouTube anyway, and like Xbox. I guess it makes sense for them to keep Xbox Music, but like, do any of these really make sense if two of them have all the platform, all the users? I think we're gonna see a diversification of features in these ones and yes some of them can stay afloat like i think that there's it's entirely possible that there'll be almost like a edm-ish one a pop music one and one for more underground music i don't I, i'm almost i'm starting to question especially with this exclusive war that if there will really be an errant jukebox what do you mean by that oh i'm sorry i should say errant jukebox is the term they say for like a complete library of music that somebody who has everything like, you have every song ever recorded. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and that's, like, that's kind of the issue with it. I read a post somewhere, but it's kind of, like, there's going to be an, like, we were dreaming of this world where you could go to Spotify and stream any song on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be really something if, I don't know what are two artists that, like, have a lot of, here, like, well, it's going to be a lot of something if all of Jay-Z catalog is on Apple but not on Spotify. But all of Kanye West's catalog is on Spotify, but not Apple. You know, like, let's just say that's how the exclusives play out. Or actually, like, the Beatles and Taylor Swift are pretty solid examples. Like, likely, if it, if if all the streaming stuff is going to be anywhere, it's going to be on Apple in terms of, like, the Beatles and Taylor Swift. And those are probably the two best examples of, like, the juggernauts, right, uh, in terms of old and new. Would you say that's accurate? Like, sure, those two sure. catalogs? I mean... Those so, are two very important catalogs. Right. So I think, you know, up front, I think exclusives are interesting. Like Beyonce will be on iTunes for the first week. But long term, it's going to be such a shitty situation for everyone. Um, oh, no, if, exclu exclusives are, ter are terrible for right. a user. I would like to, I, I think I would like to see a little more discussion about that, like from people in general. Because I, I think it's starting to, as it, everyone yeah. talks about exclusives more and more, I think everyone's like, wait, this is correct, the, a good strategy, but it's also going to ruin it. It's going to ruin streaming services. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be seen, and it's the same thing that's happening with movies now, of that, like, everybody's already getting so... It, it's, it really is exhausting having to have Amazon, uh, Netflix, and uh, Hulu to get all of your material, or now at HBO Now or whatever. Right, yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, like, cutting the cord... Eh, it doesn't really matter if I'm paying for HBO Now, Netflix, Hulu, and whatever, you know? Yeah. It adds up. <laughs> it's Yeah, and it's it's not enjoyable for people. And I also wonder how much those thin slicing of the royalties of making it $10 a month of each thing instead of one service and you're paying more money to it, and then it's able to give a more whole-fed uh, uh, whole royalty rate to everybody. So... I'm curious, but I think that the other thing that we're neglecting here is that some service may come around and be able to figure out the P 
payment platform for everybody. And mm. I think that's something we'll discuss a little bit more. But if somebody is able to pay everybody dramatically more because of a better business model, which just is like has come along many times, and that's usually what happens with these services is what dwarfs them is that somebody figures out how to do the business model in a more lean way and then pay out more. Yeah. Maybe things will happen. But that's something we'll definitely discuss in the future since it's something uh, on my mind. Okay. We, you know, our motto still rings true. Saving the music business. Saving the music business. That's our job. (laughs) So I tweeted a thing when title happened that there was some other very big news this day, this post-April Fool's Day big news burst. Don't you feel like everybody's always trying to end out? It's like everybody's plan is like, I should announce on April 1st, and then they remember that it's April Fool's Day and they can't make announcements. It's a crazy thing, actually, how much legitimate news comes out every April 1st. Yeah, Um, April, right right around the 31st of the 2nd, you're like, is this even true? I think it's just because it's like, oh, it's springtime. And then it's like, uh, because like this awesome festival Wrecking Ball got announced that like has all these bands that are like, not really dead anymore because they've played reunion shows, but don't like do the whole reunion tour thing. So it's like Judge, Descendants, American Nightmare. Yeah. What? You know, like, look, look a like real, a crazy lineup. Yeah. It's in Atlanta. It's got to be a joke then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're a sponsor of the site this week. Thank you very much, Wrecking Ball. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, that, yeah, that happens. So, so the big thing that got announced that I thought was much bigger and more consequential news is that there's this service or, um, Native Instruments, who's probably the biggest soft synth and DJing manufacturer of software and hardware uh, on the market. Like, it is very rare you listen to a record that has instruments other than guitars that doesn't have Native Instruments uh, instruments on it. So they've come out with this new audio format called Stems. Now, what Stems is going to enable is that it's an MP4, which is very similar to what you listen to. As you can tell, MP4 is just an advanced MP3. That's a container file that will have five different mixes of a song in it. It'll have the main mix of the song, but you can then go in and you can have an isolated mix of just the drums, just the bass, just the accompaniment track, just the vocal. There's four other mixes allowed in it. You can make those four other mixes also, whatever you would like, and whatever you'd want people to have access to. But what this will allow is, is that a lot of new software, it's even compatible with iTunes. Um, a lot of other, I'm sorry, a lot of other uh, services that allow you to play music will allow you to then use these files and you can create things. So, while this is really cool for EDM and we're going to hear tons of new mashups and you're more creative artists who like to play with other people's songs, like you might see now people making these stems and then your favorite band might do a cover of another band's song but use some elements of it in the rock world. What you're also going to see is that musicians are going to be able to open these files and learn from them and learn some of the tricks of you know, writing better songs, all sorts of things like that. And I'm really, really excited about this because I think it's going to open, a, one, a world of music education and two, a world of musical creativity that has not been so easy to do in the past. Mm. So what about for non, like, what do you think a little more about like non-dance EDM kind of, like, is this anything for punk? Yeah, I th- so here's a great example of doing it for punk is one, 
it lets your audience delve in and listen to your music in other ways. Like they can hear what does this. Like, you know, I think of uh, it one for musicians, obviously this is the biggest thing, but the other th thing too is, is there's tons of musicians who would love to play around and mess with arrangements of your tracks and do cool things to them just for fun. I mean, I, you know, I think about how much would all these nerds who love brand new to have that new song and be able to isolate the different instruments and play around with them. Not you, hater. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not doing so this do you, anytime soon. Have you ever, soon. like, fucked around with that stuff much? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not, I, not, I, not I, to I, insult you, but uh, not to compare you to this, rather. Um, but I, like, when I was in, like, the end of high school, I think that's kind of when the whole Skrillex thing started. And so mm -hmm. anyone, anyone that, like, had a laptop was like, I'm going to make some beats, you know, mm -hmm. and would just start doing stuff on their laptop in the locker room. And it was horrendous. And I just, and, but like, you're a real human. So do you ever mess around with stuff like that? I have a MySpace profile. Oh that, boy, I love this already. That has tons of remixes I did of a bunch of, I did, I did some <laughs> remixing of some rock songs. I did a remix of a battle song. I did a remix of a Muse song. I did a remix so of this you song should, called you Why You Are My MySpace. That was a hip hop song. Oh man. I did a Chase Pagan song. Um, Who's Chase I, Pagan? He was on the militia group. Oh, um, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, I did a whole lot of different remixing. Yeah. And I, I just think this stuff's like, I think of it this way. Like you think of a band like Phoenix, who's, you know, arguably a little dancey. They put up the multi-track files of the record. And one of the things that made that record so huge is that because they did that, every DJ was able to make a dance remix out of their rock songs. This is a great promotional tool for bands that have that ability to cross over a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious. I because when all the when all those kids in my like high school were doing it, I mean, I never would have listened to him. But I was there was a part of me that like was that was like I wonder if this will cross over into different worlds, and it hasn't happened yet. So it could be interesting to see if this kind of has a real ripple effect into different genres. Well, I think here's an interesting one: is what if you're having your local emo night, as we've discussed before? And you love emo night. Um, I'm going to start my own. You'll see. I need to explore my brand. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, could be, brand. it could be expanded. Who knows? <laughs> so you're having your local emo night, and you want to literally cut between uh, Sick Transit Gloria and a Tell All Your Friends track. <laughs> and you <laughs> could just yeah. mix back and forth. Like, this opens up the way that you can do cool, fun things even when it's not EDM. Hmm. I'm in. I'm in. I feel yeah. like I could really pull out the moves. Like at, at the, my Riot Fest one last year, Chris Conley walked in and Saves the Day was on. When John Nolan walked in. Zach, I was going to say, you already told this on the podcast. Like I know two weeks I did. Ago. But, then, but then I could have <laughs> switched it to John Nolan. I could have switched it to Taking Back Sunday when John Nolan walked on in a lot cooler way. Oh. You see, you got to be diverse because you never know who's going to stop by your local emo night. Um, what if Jesse Cannon walks in? I could play all his remixes. Yeah, I guess what, what's nice about those is those do not have my name on them. They have my alter ego's name on it, and no one's ever finding that one Why out. Why don't I know your alter ego name? Uh, it's not to talk. That has not happened. Man. We, 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 we don't need this out in the world. All right. All right. Jesse's not fun. Oh, we forgot to do this. Uh, this just reminded me. If you think Jesse used to tell us his alter ego name, please tweet at us, hashtag 
tell OTR. <laughs> but that being said, we would love to hear what you guys hate the most about streaming services. So if you like, what don't you like? What, what, if you use RDO or Spotify or Beats, whatever, what, what do you think they do that? What do you think they don't do that they should do or do do that they don't do or whatever? Like what, what do you What's dislike? your biggest complaint about these streaming services? Yes. Hashtag tell OTR and, um, We'll talk about it. We'll talk about why you're wrong. If you why say you're right, if you say something interesting, we'll read it on the air next week. We'll even maybe credit you if I remember to. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> so you, you wanted to discuss some of the changes that have been happening at Tumblr. Yeah. Um, so I have been a loyal member. I was thinking about this one yesterday when I when I turned a, a dark age, and I was like, "Wow, I've been on Tumblr since for seven years. That's a long ass time, I think, right? That, like that, that, that's a long time to do anything. That's crazy. Life is life is moving. I guess. I guess I've been on Facebook for like a long time, which is terrifying. But imagine if we we're still using MySpace, man. <sighs> Thank uh, God we're not. <laughs> but uh, so. Tumblr got bought by Yahoo two years ago for $1 billion, or was it $2 billion? For yeah, one, something I, like that. I think $2 billion. Um, I remember when it happened, it was right before Skate and Surf, the, the first one back, and I was sitting with Grace on my bed, and I was like having a panic attack because I was like, what if they shut Tumblr down? What if they don't let me put ads on it? And none of that stuff happened. And, and since then, it's mostly been a quiet Ship. They've introduced ads that I've all have thought have been pretty tasteful and stuff and, and, and no like real issues. But lately there's been this little shift where Tumblr has been updating its interface on the dashboard user side. Um, and they've made a lot of questionable changes. They've hurried stuff up to kind of compete with Medium. If you don't know what Medium is, um, it's a new blogging, it's a semi-new blogging platform by one of the founders of Twitter. Um that's meant for kind of like long form writing on unlike Tumblr, which is just kind of sh typically short form stuff, except if your property is Zach. <laughs> and um, so Tumblr was kind of like, Oh shit, there's that how they have their publishing tools are really good. Let's try to copy that a bit. And they did copy even some of it's really good, but they kind of rushed some of it out the door and it's shitty. And, and it's made things that you could do in, in four in one click need five clicks instead. And, and that's, Yes, I know I'm like kind of nagging on something because I've had a workflow for seven years and they fucked with it. Like I, I understand that part of it, but um, they they've done more. They've done basically they've been doing a lot of things that no one can necessarily tell is making the product better, but it doesn't. It may seem like it's making the product worse. Um, hmm. But beyond that, um, this past Friday, um, so when all of you listeners are running big corporations. If you ever have bad news, don't tell anyone on, on a Monday. Tell people at 5 p.m. on a Friday. As Rachel Maddow calls it, the Friday night news dump. Yep. Um, or I like to allude to taking out the trash. Um, and so Marissa Meyer, the CEO of Yahoo, sent out a memo to her, to Yahoo, internally late Friday night that, of course, like leaked to the press about a reshuffling of the kind of executive board of Tumblr. I'm sorry, of Yahoo, where David Karp of Tumblr sits. And so previously, David Karp, the founder of Tumblr, um, reported directly to Marissa Meyer, which was good. That, mean, that meant that felt like Tumblr um, would go untouched or unscathed by gross corporation things because David Karp is very vocal and passionate or blah, 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 or so we think or thought. 
However, in this new move, David Karp is no longer going to be recording, reporting to the CEO of, of Yahoo. And people are freaking out now um, because it looks like Yahoo is going to try to leverage Tumblr a lot more for ads and for video ads and stuff like this. And um, a few people have asked me, and I've been thinking for myself, like, is Tumblr looking scary right now for Property of Zach? And um, I think the real answer is probably yes. Um, and that's really concerning because I have, uh, just on Property Zach alone, forget all my other blogs, like Property Zach alone has five and a half years of posts on it. And while, yes, there are ways to export and upload to other places, we also have like 92,000 followers on Tumblr, which is a hefty sum of people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think I am going to have to start exploring kind of self-hosting the website, but it's really frightening and much more costly for sure. Um, especially because our traffic's a little erratic right now as we sort of settle into this new groove. But it's kind of concerning. Um, you know, Facebook, say what you want with it, has stayed on a slow decline or incline or whatever towards its path of ads. But I think for Tumblr, like, it could just flip overnight. And if I'm not prepared, if I don't have, like, a shit, the world is breaking plan, then it might be pretty bad. Um, and so it, yeah, to answer anyone's question, like I am going to start slowly looking at other options outside of Tumblr, which is really kind of, in some ways, if that were to have to happen, this would be the best time for it to happen because I'm less, um, needed on like the page views and stuff that Tumblr can provide for me, but also like don't really want to leave Tumblr ever. Um, and, and so I'm kind of in like a stressed out position over it and I don't really know, but it's interesting to see like, Yahoo, Yahoo, like, was probably never the best bet for Tumblr because Yahoo is a company that is continuing to flounder for a decade now. And we all hope Marissa Meyer would turn it around, but I don't really know if that's the case. Um, so, yeah, I'm stressed over it. So the thing it's just that thing is Yahoo just does nothing but make bad products. It's what they do. Like, they, they broke Flickr. They, like, yes, they, they break do. everything. They, their Yahoo News relaunch was terrible. Like, anything yeah, they I mean, do. The, heart, the heartbreaking thing for, like, Flickr is that Flickr should have been Instagram <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, yeah, well, but Yahoo, you know, Yahoo would be fucking set if that was the case. Um, so, somebody said that we don't have hashtags though without Flickr. Is that true? I heard that the other day. Uh, they did start to prevail that a lot more for sure. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's not bogus. I have to, I'm going to look that up. So I have nothing to say about that. So you want to get into yeah. some user questions? Yes. Yes, Absolutely. User questions, listener questions. Yeah, no, too, too much, too many tech podcasts. <laughs> so the first one is, what do you guys think of bands canceling shows in specific states as protests to the laws they feel are discriminatory? This feels right up my alley to say. It does. I think this it's is like a Jesse question. This is the best thing that could happen because musicians are supposed to push us forward and help make the progress happen in our society, just as comedians are. And yet we're all shitting on comedians these days and just trying to censor them as well. Um, musicians help make the change happen and they help get it out to people who don't pay attention to politics by bringing awareness. This is part of their role in society. And it's a great thing that musicians are doing this. And I applaud Wilco for doing that, even though there should be a class action lawsuit against their catalog for putting people to sleep at the wheel. Whoa. I honestly have no, uh, I don't know any Wilco songs. But I agree. I think it's admirable. Um, There's been a lot of, like, talk about people being mad at artists canceling and also not canceling shows in Indiana specifically. But 
Um, I think we're allowed to be put off or happy for artists when they challenge us, and I think that's okay. If I had my way, every band would cancel uh, the show. Out of curiosity, the Bad Timing website omits certain numbers for BTR releases. Why, asks our frequent listener, Inglorious Pulp, on Twitter. Um, if I head over to the Bad Timing Records website right now as I talk to you, um, there's a few reasons. So if you go to our release page at badtimingrecords.com slash releases, um, you'll notice that we skip BTR 003, BTR 009, and um, currently BTR 020 is missing. And so there's a few reasons for each of these things. Um, sometimes when labels skip over releases, that means they're dead. Um, you started on a project, you got so far into the project that you gave it a catalog number, and then you had to stop the release for some reason. Um, I think Thomas and I have come to an agreement that we'll never reveal what 003 and 009 were going to be, but they were going to be cool releases. Um, and unfortunately, they just got to a point where we had to stop them. Uh, we put money into each release and we had to kind of cut it off. And that, that's a shame. Um, that third release specifically was going to probably be a big one. Um, and in terms of like now and our current releases, we're missing 020. Um, that's a release that will come out. We're just not ready yet. Um, it took longer to get into production than we thought it would, but we assigned it a catalog number early on. Just basically when you assign catalog numbers to releases and sometimes things get delayed and sometimes other projects move faster than you thought. Um, next question. Jesse, should a band have their album mastered by their producer's recommendation or explore other options from at butt sweater? But, but with two T's, of course. I, I really like that name. Um, yes, usually you should follow your producer's recommendation because they usually have a relationship with their mastering engineer and they're developing a sound together. With that said, if you don't trust your producer that that's actually happening and they're kind of a slacker and they're maybe smoking a few too many J's at the session and they're not really putting their heart in it, um, you feel free to suggest someone different. I mean, perhaps a really esteemed mastering engineer with a podcast or something. Yes, for the most part, the answer is yes. What else do we got? Hey, guys, I've been running a music blog on Tumblr for nearly two years that is growing steadily in popularity. Ugh, competition. I am considering buying a name name to my to uh, so that my URL doesn't have Tumblr. Oh, I guess not competition yet. At the end of it, uh, so I can look more independent or whatever. But I have no idea how to go about doing that. I figured Zach would know a thing or two from running POZ, so you want to point me in the right direction. How much should I be willing to spend? Ah, um, there is a wonderful web hosting company called Hover.com. They are not a sponsor. Which we, we both use. Which we both use. Uh, please do not use GoDaddy. Um, yes. Unless you need a .fm use, uh, domain, please do not use GoDaddy. Also, uh, don't use one and one Don't use one and one uh, Yeah, use Hover.com. They make it really easy for you. Um, I think you should be willing to spend a good chunk of money um, because ultimately, if you're serious about this project, it needs a good name and it needs a good stamp and it needs to be professional. Um, Yo, wait, 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 wait. So now when you say spend a good chunk of money... You're advocating people buy pre-used domain oh, names. No, like, no, okay, no, no, no. I don't just mean, want to make sure. Unless you realize... Because not for, a not dot com is $10, right? Well, it depends. I mean, it depends what you're buying. But, like, um, for, you know, FM domains are 80 bucks a year. Mm -hmm. um, you should be willing to spend 80 bucks a year if you think your website has significant value to your life and your future and your curiosity and your passion. Um, but I think a lot of people see... 
80 bucks a year and they're like, holy shit. But think about it. If that's, if you're asking people to come to something that you're making every single day, you should be proud of it. There should be a good name. Yes, I'm aware. My website's called propertyzac.com. Um, but don't skimp out on stuff like this. Naming, I believe, is important. Um, and so if you feel passionately about a name and, and you can get that domain, go for it. I will say, if you can get a .com, of course, get a .com. I think for music stuff right now, FM is really cool. Um, but yeah. So the next question is, hi, guys. Want to say I love the show with great insight. You answered my question about being a solo artist on this week's podcast. And I totally saw where you guys were coming from. However, I should elaborate. I'm not going just straight acoustic. It would be like an Aaron West type of deal where I write a full album and bring in other musicians to work with. How does that change your answer if it does at all? Thanks again. So uh, this person was referring to that we said basically that was a bad idea to go solo acoustic. I don't think it changes the answer too much, but I will say this, that the one benefit I can see is that you do keep more of the royalties when you make hired guns. Just make sure you get release forms for the musicians when you do it. Your standard release forms, if you performance release forms, if you do your Googles. Yeah, Googles. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, you get to keep more profits, but you also don't have people who help you save up for the things you need to save up for. Now, if you make a great record and it starts coming out well, you may not need to save up for much and you get things going, But or you may have rich parents, who knows? But in general, the advantage of having a bunch of people is that you could do, do that. The other advantages is like, you know, I think about that like kind of like end of the MySpace era thing where there was like tons of these bands that were like, kind of famously paying guys to just be the side musicians. They were just like, you know, when you're on tour, here's two to $500 a week for this guy. And he's not cut into the merch and he's not cut into the uh, record sales or the publishing or anything like that. And you're keeping a way bigger cut, way bigger cut. Money is sick. Yeah. Like that <laughs> money. This question is for Jesse. I recently bought a music hall MF 2.2 after reading your record player article Great guide. Thank you for your page view money that I didn't get. I still need a receiver and speakers, and I'm uh, not looking to spend a ton of money. You recommend the Yamaha home system as a good way to kill two birds with one stone. My question is, is this system compatible with the Music Hall turntable from the looks of it? And what I've read, it's just um, an iPod player and a CD player. Let me know if I should buy this for my new turntable, Thomas. So the quick and easy answer to this is that uh, there's a thing, there's a consumer grade line input, which is what a CD player input is. So what you do to get your record player to interface with this is buy a phono preamp. And a phono preamp takes a record player, which is at a very low volume and brings it up to the volume that a CD, a cassette, a iPod input, basically anything you would normally input into a stereo, it gets it to that volume. You need that other piece. Now, there's $20 phono preamps. I recommend in the article the Cobalt one, there's the Music Hall one, which is a lot more expensive. All of those are great options. Your phono preamp does make a good difference, though. So I say in the article, usually about $100 is about where you're looking to spend for a phono preamp. So you put that on top of your purchase of your turntable, and you're looking at even more money for your very expensive vinyl habit. Ah, uh, get them addicted young. <laughs> yes, says the dealer. <laughs> Hey, guys, been listening uh, since the beginning episode. Thank you. I agree with Jesse on that. More free, crappy recorded versions of stuff, uh, be it YouTube, Snapchat, or any other app, will take away from record sales, potential DVD releases, show tickets, etc. 
I still try to buy merch from bands as much as possible and find sites like Bandcamp and SoundCloud great for getting samples of music before you decide to buy it. But free streaming music is not really helping a band. Buying a shirt or 7-inch or whatever is always the best way to support an artist. On a side note, I recently got an LP from Amazon and it came all bent in the corners. Ugh. They don't know how to ship vinyl. Yes, they do. It was Grow Up Dude by You Blew It and regret not getting it directly through Top Shelf. Anyway, some bands are doing cheesy things with these pre-ordered rec- pre-order packages too. Like Pit Cemetery got uh, has a dog ball and the story so far have a, a coffee bag to their pre-orders. Wait, wait. Uh, story so far is a bag of coffee with their pre-orders? Yeah, I think it's like their friend is has. I think it might be even one of the guys from like Set Your Goals has this little coffee side business he's playing around. Um, wow, that's some, something. And so this was a long-winded question to essentially ask. Um, what our favorite packages for records are, like pre-order bundles, and this is from Justin3341. Let me just address something quickly in this question. One, uh, I have many people that tell me all the time Amazon is the best at packing records of any record they've ever gotten. You, you, don't, you just confused those two questions. <laughs> did <laughs> that's, I? Yeah, that's, a, that's another one. He means packages, t- tours that we never got to see. Oh, This kid right. didn't really even ask a question. Oh, he just made right. a comment. But they, they, they kind of work right. very well together. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, why yeah. don't you answer that? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> why don't you answer what your favorite packages you've got? Like are? pre-order packages? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I really... I I don't have one because I don't buy okay, it. Okay, this stuff. isn't really like a pre-order package, I guess, but the just in general, like the Death Cab for Cutie box set of all the back catalog records, I thought it was it came together really beautifully. It was like a very nice, hearty, good box, and, and it's very nice. Um, I ordered this pre-order box set for Say Anything self-titled record, which is my favorite Say Anything record, um, and it has like a die-cut Thunderbolt and a vinyl CD, like a demos CD, a cool poster, and maybe a t-shirt, and so that was really solid. Um, I don't often buy, like, kitschy pre-order items, if that's the right word. Like, uh, if I'm going to buy a piece of merchandise, it's usually just a shirt. But I, I, I just wanted to say really quickly, like, Amazon does typically package things really well. That sucks that you got something messed up. Also, um, in terms of in terms of bands, uh, this is maybe a conversation for another episode, but, like, Bands do make money from Spotify. It's just kind of the yeah. truth. Um, yeah. Like, well, well, you know what? Let's do that next episode. Okay. Um, and then one more thing. Yes, um, Top Shelf Records definitely make more money when you buy Grow Up Dude on TopShelfRecords.com versus Amazon.com. But I will say um, Top Shelf definitely appreciates your pur- purchase from Amazon as well because it shows distribution that people are buying their records Um from from large retail stores, and that will only help Top Shelf expand their footprint into places like FYE or Urban Outfitters and stuff like that. Um, I'm kind of going through learning all that stuff right now through Bad Timing and Tree, and that's something we can talk about later, I guess, too. But um, to, So the, uh, to so get, the question yeah. from Justin3341 was, what was your favorite package you never got to see? Oh, there's a lot for me. Um, let me think about Did any come to mind for you right away? I mean, I'm not going to go with the package. I actually am very lucky that I've gotten to see most of the shows I wanted to see. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I missed Joe Strummer the last uh, time he came around before mm-hmm. he died. And I saw him once before that, and it was amazing. And The Clash are my favorite band of all time. And uh, my buddy Spencer and I went and to go see him, and... We didn't have tickets, and we bought from scalpers. They walked with our buddy. Whoa. 
Damn. Yep. yep. We were we, we were just teenagers. <laughs> just kids. Yes. But, you know, we learned that lesson early and we learned that lesson hard that you don't buy from the scalpers outside the show. Yeah. I have a few that just popped into my head. I mean, really recently, these aren't like crazy packages, but I was bummed that I missed Cursive's Ugly Organ Tour with Beach Lang and that I missed Lydia's 10-year tour last year. Um, but if I can like take a little time travel, um, like that, that original brand new Manchester Kevin Divine Tour, that will happen again i'm sure in the future but like if i think it was like really a coming to ages moment for all three of those bands artists and i wish i could have seen that um back in like the day i think there was like a blink midtown newfound glory tour that sounds like a blast any of those tours blink and green day did with um jimmy world sound awesome like i wish i got to see jimmy world more as like a coming up band um, saw them with 20 people at a roller skate rink in central Jersey in Wayne, New Jersey. Yeah. Like that's awesome. Um, so I think a lot of it is just like, you know, back when you look at those warp tour lineups and it's like, holy shit, all those bands together, like th- those tours basically, um, that I, I, that I just literally was not, I would not even have been in, let inside of the venue cause I was that young, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I think the ones that I miss out on are like, damn, it would have been so cool to see this band as they were coming up, which is not really, a, it, it's not really a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so the last question we have is, this is going to sound silly, but I'm confused about sub-labels or imprint labels and how they work. Hmm. For example, Rory Records on Equal Vision or Velocity Records on Rise. Would a band on Rory-Velocity still technically be, say they are signed to EVR Rise where are the pros and cons to sign to an imprint label as opposed to the original parent label? I think that this is a this it's is a good a, question. It, well, so the answer is is it's different every time. So here's a great example: Warner for a while embraced a lot of uh, labels under this little blanket, and you'd see all the bands that kind of want wish they were on a major label. They would all say on Warner Brothers dash imprint, and then all the bands that wanted to play cool, like hey, we're punk rock, yeah. They would just say they're on the imprint. And it was a very funny thing to see who wants cred versus who's aspiring to be a big boy. And as for what technically happens, it's different every time. It's about a contract and between who does that sub-label and who does the main label. Mm-hmm. And, and then it gets like, if you remove yourself from major label world, it also gets like, Sometimes these are real things and sometimes they're not. Max Bemis, like you brought up, has a label called Rory Records. Um, these are all bands on Equal Vision. Um, like, Say Anything is on Equal Vision. So, mm-hmm. is, so is Saves the Day. But they market themselves as Rory Records. However, this is where I think like the modern age difference is. I don't think Max Bemis has any bands on Rory Records that are not on Equal Vision. Yes. And so this means that all the bands on Rory Records are financially tied to Equal Vision, that there aren't any standalone Rory Records bands. And you would say the same of Velocity as well. I would say the exact—actually, I think that's wrong. I think Velocity actually does have one or two bands that are not on Rise Records. Hmm. Um, And this is where the difference is. There are some sub-labels that all the money comes through the head label. Um, but there are some that do joint releases or, or um, upstream artists but have the financial input all on their own. Um, some is just a name thing because some artists just want to have their own name and feel cool about it, which is okay. Um, but some is really its own thing. 
a good example maybe is like Secret Wish. Uh, Secret Voice is a sub-label of Death Wish. Um, and that's Jeremy Baum's label. I don't know any details behind that, but for some reason I feel like some of that um, money is coming from Jeremy instead of all Death Wish. Um, another good example, and this is my own example, is distro sub-deals. Technically, Bad Timing Records is a sub-label of JTree. Um, JTree owns 0% of Bad Timing Records. They have zero financial stake in the company. But um, JTree, oh, sorry, but Bad Timing's catalog, dig, some, of, some of digital and any of uh, physical is distrib- distributed through JTree's um, distribution legs of ADA in America. And so that means um, JTree does see a portion of bad timing record money cuts because they're kind enough to distro us and we would not be able to be in record stores without them at this point. So there's a lot of different things, but like Jesse says, it definitely um, changes per label. And there's not necessarily pros and cons to being signed to an imprint as um i I, yes sometimes it just just really comes down to the like you're getting this guy's signature on it you might never even talk like let's say let's say zach gives me my imprint to put out cool remixes on and uh what's your stage name though that's not happening um so i could sign a thing with zach where i say hey this is the band i want to sign and zach may say cool i think they're worth investing in and then the band never talks to me again, but you get the cred of being known as you're one of Jesse Cannon's sightings mm-hmm. or the branding of that this is a separate part. Kind of like I remember Drive Through did this kind of with Rushmore of that they wanted to separate their sound. And like, you know, we, and think of it this way one of the be- best examples of this is Epitaph Anti. Same yes. exact label, same exact office, same exact everything, but you're just getting a different label smacked on that infrastructure so that you are not branded, especially when Epitaph had more of a Cali punk sound. You weren't lumped, you didn't want Tom Waits lumped in with 10 foot pole. Yeah, that's a really good example. Um, same with like the Hellcat stuff. Mm hmm. Well, the, well, Hellcat, yeah, it was Tim from Rancid, but yes, same infrastructure and definitely trying to say, this is one of the guys in the biggest punk bands in the world signing this band. Right, exactly. Um, so recommendations? Oof. I will recommend Going Clear because I just saw it. I will recommend... I, I spent a week uh, in Disneyland and Southern California. <laughs> and Disneyland is awful. I don't recommend it. Yeah, nish nish. Um, <laughs> I saw Whiplash. I thought that was oh, damn good. Oh, yeah? I cool. thought that was damn good. I mean, it's on my list. I que- I question how much the majority of the world would earn, but as somebody who pushes performances out of musicians all day, I thought it was definitely some very interesting thoughts. Um, I also attended a screening of a really good movie, which um, conflict of interest disclosure. They're my friends and former bandmate. Uh, it's called Rye Coalition: The Story of the Hard Luck Five. Uh, and uh, it's a great documentary about really fun about one of the bands that kind of brought out. Now, when I'm going to say screamo here, people, I want you to know this is 90s screamo, not attack, attack and things like that. Uh, but really invented kind of that twinkly guitar type of thing. Rye Coalition was very instrumental in that in their early releases on Gurdon Blanston. Um, and the movie's also just hilarious. The guys are so funny, and uh, it's really a great documentary. And uh, it's in the link in the article I wrote for Zach on punk documentaries. 
Thank you very much for listening. If you're listening live on Adobe, you can head to offtherecord.fm or search Off The Record Podcast on iTunes to subscribe from us. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you.